0: Join the Authors' Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about.
1: Hello, I'm Robin Colucci, your host of the Authors' Corner, and welcome. Today, we are going to talk about a mindset or belief that so many aspiring authors have, which is this idea of, I really, really want to write a book, but I just don't have enough time. I'm so busy. My calendar is so full. I have so many obligations. I just can't find the time to write my book. So in answer to that really painful issue, right? Because it is painful when you really want to do something and you can't see how you can find the time. So, to answer that issue, I've invited to come share with us today Stephen Griffith. And Stephen is an author, a speaker, researcher, and high performance expert who, for over 25 years, has been a trusted advisor and coach. To successful CEOs, entrepreneurs, executives, professional and amateur athletes, and organizations, including the US military, Jimmy Kimmel Live, and members of the NBA, MLB, NFL, and NHL. His latest book, The Time Cleanse, was published in 2018 by McGraw-Hill, and he's going to share many gems of wisdom from this book with us today. So tune in and drink it in because I think you'll be pleased with what you learn. So, Stephen, welcome to the Author's Corner. Great to be here, Robin. It's so much fun to be able to have this conversation with you. We've known each other a while now, I believe.
2: Yeah, seven, eight years at least. At
1: least, yeah. I was going to say we're probably coming up on 10 years here pretty soon. And it's been so much fun to watch your evolution as a professional and you know just how both of us have grown so much over the several years. And you know, the purpose of our conversation today is to really talk about this amazing book that you have right behind you, right there. For those of us who are who can see the video, The Time Cleanse. And we're going to specifically talk about how do you navigate this time aspect when you are writing a book. So I thought maybe we could start out by having you talk to our listeners a little bit about the Time Cleanse book and, you know, just the gist of of what it is. Sure.
2: Sure. sure. So when we met, I had self-published a few books. And as a performance coach for the last 25 years, while I was working with my entrepreneurs executives, the biggest issue that would come up, Robin, would be the issue of time. So it was about six years ago, maybe even seven. And in one week, literally every client had the same roadblock, same exact language. I don't have enough time. And I saw how it was affecting those clients and myself as well. So I made a decision. I said, why is it now that we're having such a difficult time? So I researched it. I got my hands in everything I could. And in that research, I found out one thing that we had this adversarial relationship with time. And that was the key why we were being held back. And the tools and the techniques were using hey, were completely outdated. A lot of those things that were established were when we didn't have an iPhone, we weren't being distracted 24 seven. And so when people would try to start managing their time, it was even worse. And so I ended up researching, developing a system, getting a book deal with McGraw-Hill, And then absolutely using every one of those tools inside that book to write the book.
1: And, you know, one of the things that really stood out for me when I was reading your book was how you just blew up this concept of time management. So talk to our listeners a little bit about that, because this is still conventional wisdom, right? Oh, I've got to manage my time.
2: Right. So we just had the Olympics. and. You know, I thought, how can I get it into people's minds around the difference between management? No Olympian goes out and says, I'm going to manage my performance. It's yeah. <laughs> not what I'm thinking about. Like, I'm going to go out and get a gold medal. I'm going to manage myself. No, you're going to give 100% and you're going to perform. You're going to perform with your time. And so I wrote the whole book from the perspective of performance is because when we're performing with time, we're in the flow. Things are happening. We're at our best. When we get into managing time, time becomes a finite amount of space, if you will, and it adds pressure. And that's the biggest thing is that when you understand that time is here for you to manifest and to get all your gifts in the world and it's on our side, everything changes. And that's why what I write about and what I coach about is really simple. Time is your most important relationship. And when you realize, hey, time comes from me, I'm in charge of it, everything changes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's so much powerful stuff in there. So, yeah, and this whole idea of time being there for you. So I'd like to hear what you have to say. What do you say when people tell you, well, I just don't have enough? I
2: love it. I've heard it a thousand times. (laughs) I'll give you a really good example. I was flying back from speaking engagement. And I was sitting next to a retired teacher, really nice lady. She asked me what I was doing. I said, I'm on the final manuscript to turn in. I just got done speaking. And she was asking a lot of good questions. And so I got into a little deeper conversation with her. And I said, have you ever said if time allows or my schedule allows? She said, absolutely. So I I paused and I looked at her and I said, who's time and who's allowing you? And her jaw dropped. (laughs) <laughs> and i said the reason i'm asking you this it's this belief system that somehow time is outside of us and that we need permission and i said and she finally said well well i'm time i said exactly and when i was researching i did a google research a deep dive into words that are being researched and by the way time is the number one research personal development word um, and it's also, my research, the number one excuse why people don't, want they don't have what they want, they're not doing what they want, New Year's resolutions, all of that stuff. It's related to time.
1: Mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And that is the other one. I just can't find the time.
2: As if oh, it- <laughs> yeah. And so doing the time cleanse process with thousands and thousands of people now. And when I start, you know, usually people are arms across, you're not gonna teach me anything, there's no time. And one of the things that we found in the research is that when you actually inventory where you're spending your time, that people become shocked how much is being wasted. So when people say, I don't have enough time, the first thing I tell them, I go, it's an absolute illusion. Yeah. And the average person when they go through the time cleanse gets back a minimum of 15 hours a week. And until you go through it, they don't believe it. I actually had to to reduce the average amount of time back that I seen because my publisher was like, those numbers are
1: too big. Yeah. People don't believe I, you, right? <laughs> <and so when laughs> I, I was gonna say I thought it was more like 20 hours. <laughs> yeah. And so when
2: we start looking at like, wow, especially with technology, that's an area where people get back their time. And so in the process, the first thing that I do just to give your listeners an overview is first of all decide what's really important to you. Like what do you want and why do you want it? Right. That's number one, getting yourself aligned person with your values and your purpose. The second step is then inventory every place you spend time and the worksheet we take people through. And that's where you start getting the time back. And the third part of the book is then where do you reinvest it? And then what we're going to talk a lot about today is then how do you perform? How do you set up your day, actually perform, have time on your side and not just drop, you know, into a heap of dust at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, which is so great. So when we're talking about like, talk to us a little bit about your process and how you found your performance. In order to write
2: your book. <laughs> it was a performance. You know, we've talked in detail, you know, you know, self-publishing is his own process. And then when you're with a, a publisher, or a big publisher, there's a whole nother process. And it's still writing a book, but it is apples and oranges, as you know. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I needed to do and that, that I did do is number one is you have to create the time to write. I'm running a business. Now I'm writing a book, which is another full-time job. And I talk about this a lot when it comes to New Year's resolutions, is the reason people fail at New Year's resolutions, it's not motivation, it's time. You can't put an exercise and nutrition program on top of a full schedule and think it's going to happen. So that means you have to eliminate the things that are absolutely not in aligned with your purpose, and that's the space You actually have now to go for that goal, the New Year's resolution, or we're talking about here, writing a book. So the first thing that I did was eliminate all distractions. You know, people that were stealing my time, where I was letting steal my time. You know, behaviors and habits that weren't supporting me. And then I'm in my writing room right now, creating an environment that supports you in your writing, right? A place where you can sit and be comfortable and dedicating those hours and scheduling. I mean, I knew what I was doing, but every day, here's where I'm writing. And one of the things that's important is to understand what hours of the day Mm. are you a good writer, okay? For me, absolutely, first thing in the morning. Yep, That golden four or five hours, absolutely. And so I started setting up my day to say, how can I perform at my best would be in the morning. Now, as you know, as deadlines start to get closer, that starts to expand. Right. <laughs> but to dedicate yourself, that period of time, and then and there's something that I talk about is making it non-negotiable, right? Mm-hmm. I wrote every day. There was days that I woke up and that's the last thing I wanted to do, right? It's having that grit to keep going. And one of the things I found helpful for myself is when I was in that area where I just didn't want to write, you know, I was a little bit more self-compassionate with myself. And we know with self-compassion, that's really kindness to yourself in the face of adversity or what challenges you might have. And we know from the research is that the more self-compassionate we are, the higher we actually will perform. We actually become the inner coach, the inner supporter versus, you know, beating ourselves up, you know, all the negative self-talk. And that was really helpful because it also reduced time pressure. And this is one thing I want to share, especially with writing. We can get caught up in time pressure. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. As soon as we're in that talk, we're no longer having a relationship with time that's supportive and our performance goes down and our stress goes up. And so knowing that there is enough time that if I use it right, I will perform I will get it done just allows the process to be much easier.
1: And that really requires that you be very conscious, right? Because what I'm, you know, it seems like it's almost like a default or like an automatic response for a lot of people, including myself. So, you know, I can point to many times I've been like, no, oh, you got to do this. You're, you're messing it up if you don't get it done on time or you, you know, you're and to have that self-compassion piece. How did you come to that realization?
2: Well, Rob, it's a great question because it wasn't easy. I'm still a recovering non-compassionate person. Authentic. <laughs> <laughs> authenticity about it. It's a work in progress. As a lead athlete, I grew up with, it's never good enough. You're always, you know, trying to get to the next level. And the coaching that I received as a young man was not compassionate. It was very personalized about your identity. One of the words that I introduced in the book is called timefulness. And this it's high right in here. And timefulness is like a niche down version of mindfulness. And it's being present, aware, and intentional with your time. So if we break it down, present means I'm here now. I'm here where I'm sitting. My feet are here. And that I'm intentional, that I'm focused what I'm doing with my time. So your question is really good because it creates an awareness, right? There's an awareness of what's going on. And that's the first step to really performing and getting in the flow state. We've got to be aware, where is my mind? Where's my body? And so, you know, my daily practices of exercise, meditation, good nutrition, getting in nature, I kept that all together while I was writing. Hmm. And I knew that I had to keep my North Star because, you know, there's highs and lows when you're writing, you get your manuscript back, you think it's the best thing. And now you got to go back in there and, and make the adjustments. So no matter what was coming at me, It was, you know, taking that break and going, okay, what can I control? What is good right now? And what could be good? And that's really the optimistic mindset, you know, utilizing time and always, always getting back to my why. What the lowest days of my book writing, when it just felt overwhelming, the thing that was my life raft was the why why am I doing this? And what is it that I'm going to birth into the world and how will it help people? So it took it out of me, right? Focusing on me, tired. It's not going well. And that always put me back on dry land. Always put me back on dry land.
1: So true. You know, I see that come up so often where I think it's also the key to happiness, right? Instead of figuring out like, what could I do to be happy? You know, like if, if you start thinking about how could I bring joy to someone else? That always is actually the key to getting out of your funk. At least that's what I've...
2: I 100% agree. And, and I've shipped, actually shifted my belief a lot in my coaching. There was a lot of language that I would coach early in my career about being happy. And I realized if you want to focus on being happy, for me, I'll be 40 pounds overweight. <laughs> I'll be watching Netflix all night. And the thing <laughs> is, so now my focus is happiness is part of it with success, but it's about how to be relevant. How do I connect to my gifts and talents and then bring it to the collective?
1: Mm. And that
2: really shifted me as well as a lots of my clients in allowing you know a higher level of grit, you know, facing adversity right with passion and to continue to go forward. Because if you're only thinking about happiness happiness and grit they don't connect yeah way.
1: you're not going to be happy every moment you're writing your book that's for sure <laughs> right.
2: and if you think you are or that's what you're focused on man it's going to be a hard process it's difficult to write a book i mean you know you're an amazing coach and writer yourself and you know you see i'm sure with your clients where you know it gets a, you know it gets a little sticky it should get a little sticky if it doesn't get a little sticky probably not pushing yourself
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know that just reminds me of something else because I know, you know, you and I have both done a lot of study around the subconscious mind and how it can interfere with our goals wow. and what I found is at some point in the book writing process everybody hits their own wall. It sometimes it's early, sometimes it's at the very end, but a lot of times something will come up that has the potential to steal their time. Tell us a little bit about that mechanism and, you know, how you navigate. Yeah,
2: that's that's a a really good point because I can see early on, I was working with a collaborator to help just navigate the process. And in that, we were missing deadlines. And so that was an initial roadblock. That was just all part of the process. And I had to really double down on what I can control. I took back more of the project on my plate. But early on, right after I signed my book deal, they gave me the offer in, 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 I think, December 2018, you know, finalized 2019. And in the first month of writing, one of my very close friends died. And it was very interesting. And it was very sudden. It was a medical professional, had a blood clot, passed away instantly, right? No warning. And it really hit me hard because I'm writing about time. And in the part of the book I talk about, you know, we have a limited amount of time. And so it was one of those things where I had to put it into context of what I was doing. I gave myself some time. I actually flew to Hawaii and did his eulogy, but I used it as fuel to go Mm. deeper into what I was writing and why, because you never know when our time's up, right? And that's one of the things that can be challenging in our life's purpose is that, you know, I I talk about that death is actually one of the most motivating things that we have because we've got a beginning and an end. And if we didn't have that, you and I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast today.
1: (laughs) We'd be talking about one day we're going to do it.
2: (laughs) So, you know, the question is understanding that things are going to come up, right? So it's not a surprise, right? That was a surprise, but life's events continue. And the thing that, you know, I was a little naive on, I was like, oh, I'm just going to write this book. Run my business, stay healthy. And right. I was like, no problem. Oh, wait, wait a second. And this, there's got like three things going on here at once, and so technically, I jump into what was very helpful for me. So I have one of my most important tools. It's very expensive. Just kidding. It is a egg timer, and so one of the tools that, that I write about in the book. Um, for all people in performance is to start doing interval writing. And what, what that means is I'm setting your timer and literally shutting every single thing that can beat, chime, flash. And so I like the, the interval of 55 minutes and a seven-minute rest. And okay. so what I would do, set this, and the reason I'm using this and not my iPhone or because right. that's a dangerous a tool. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And so I would write for fifty-five minutes, get up, get some tea, go outside, seven to ten minutes, and come back. And that kept me on track. And I started just doing a couple, you know, intervals. And the thing about interval writing, interval it's
1: like your very own—it's—I want to call it Wit or something. Like <laughs>
2: right, right, <laughs> <Or> like- <laughs> exactly. I, the acronym. They, I know. Right.
1: I'm struggling to come up with the acronym. Yeah, it's
2: perfect. Quite- so- So I started committing, because what I realized is if you do two or three of those, that's like the equivalent of like six hours of just kind of, um, at my peak, I have to say, and I I was an Olympian at the WIT, we'll call it WIT right now, for the last three weeks of writing, I was doing 10 intervals a day.
1: Wow.
2: Now, I had built myself up, but... I knew that was the, I couldn't do that right away. But once I was in that zone, the finish line, it was 10 hours a day for a couple of weeks. Now it did take me a couple of weeks to recover after everything was finalized. What I tell people is you'll surprise yourself at the abilities you have once you go all in. And, you know, being unreasonable. And for me, being unreasonable, stop making reasons why you can't. I love that. Many reasons. And so that was a, a great tool to actually advance my work production.
1: Yeah, That's incredible. I love that. I love that concept. I just think it's, of course, with your athletic background, it just seems right. like the perfect thing right. to come up with. Is- and I mean, the thing
2: I'll add to kind of the things that helped me is being really clear with the people in your life. This I did not know ahead of time it was something I developed coached many times afterwards, but communicating with your environment. If boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whatever it might be, and be- making clear boundaries about what you're willing to do, what you're not, what your writing time is when you don't do that. And I didn't do that right away. And then I had all these pressures. Can you go to this party? Can you come over here? And then finally, you know, compassionately communicated some boundaries, and man, it got a lot easier. So it's really important in your life environment, who you're with, that you're communicating, you know, what you're willing to do or not and what the boundaries are.
1: Yeah, that is so important. And getting that kind of cooperation or or buy in, if you will, right, that this is what you need. Because 99%
2: of the people, I'm going to go 99.9999. Never written a book, have no idea what that, they can't comprehend it, right? So they don't know. So you've got to explain to them what that actually is because they have no idea what you're doing. You think, oh, right. you sit down and write a few pages and you know, all of a sudden magically there's a book on a shelf. in a yeah. book.
1: <laughs> How hard could it be?
2: Yeah, I mean, you yeah. <laughs> know. And like I said, self-publishing, You know, a few books before have a, even a more immense honoring of any book that's in a bookstore i don't care what i believe about that book what it took to get on that shelf is not easy and it can be done obviously
1: well i'll never forget when i was actually at the barnes and noble on fifth avenue in 20 must have been what late 2019 maybe when did your book come out
2: mid-2019 yeah
1: yeah yeah so it was right around there and there it was, the time cleanse on I
2: mean, you sent me a picture. We hadn't talked for a little while and you're like, I'm in the bookstore, right? We had you, know.
1: you made it to Fifth Avenue.
2: That <laughs> was a really joyous day when you actually sent that to just, you know, out of the randomness of life, right?
1: Right, exactly. And and what fun it is to see, you know, a good friend's book on the shelf. It's it's yeah. A,
2: yeah. A
1: true joy. Yeah. So, you know, one of the other things I remember from your book is you were talking about time as an asset. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Share a little bit about that point of view, because I thought that really stuck with me.
2: Well, it goes back to once again, like, so, you know, when we're investing money, right? So we're clear, like, I, you know, invest money in a home, in my pet, you know, experiences, but we don't really think about time like that. And the paradox is this, is we know we're all going to die, but we're not thinking about that. We're not waking up today. Gosh, this is my last day. So, so the calendar pages can start flipping. And when you start thinking about that, this is an asset for me to be relevant and to make a difference on the planet. So for me, my family, my business, the collective, it, it becomes more relevant to what it actually is, right? I was at my local gas station here and I'm, I'm hyper alert to where people are stealing my time and attention, obviously. So they got some new gas pumps in, right? And I put my card in and all of a sudden I see this like 15 inch string pop up. Like by the, and it's blaring ads. Oh yeah. Ugh. That's the last time I went to that gas station because it's my time and attention, right? So it's time and attention. and And so really thinking about it as an asset, you know? And I was recently on a, TV show with athletes as an athlete program in Chicago, my hometown, WGN. And Walter Payton, who is a famous football player, his son was the interviewer. And I got to train with Walter when I was a, a young man. And you know, I told his son, Jared, I said, as an athlete, this goes for everyone, time is the most important asset for an athlete. It's okay, where do I invest it? But not only do, how do I invest it. How am I monitoring my progress, right? We get better by putting intentional time and focus on a performance with that time. So, you know, we can go out and run a 5K with no time or we can go out every day and run and then time ourselves and that's how we get better. So it's the thing that we can't get back. You know, when it's gone, you can get money back but that you're not getting back.
1: That's the point. I remember when I read that, I was like, that is so true. And, you know, it's one of those like hard truths, but boy, is it so good to remember. And I remind myself of that frequently, right? Because it's so true. You cannot, when you, wherever you spend your time, that's it. It's not a renewable resource. It's not something you can go earn again or get more of. And no matter how much money you have, by the way, you can't no. buy.
2: And it's interesting when you said that when I did my research, the number one thing from a few studies that people wanted wasn't more money, it wasn't kids, it wasn't all the things you think you want. It's more time, Mm -hmm. more time. And it's the thing that, you know, we've got to really protect. And part of that protection is saying, no, I have a client, true story. She sent me a picture and the picture is a tattoo of the word no on her wrist a week ago she goes because i was talking to her but i was like wow you're taking this on that it hit her so profoundly that how much you've been saying yes to and i wrote this some people laugh when i say this or not but a no to the outside world for a request of your time is a yes to your hopes and dreams mm. and that doesn't mean that you're not generous you're not giving back But really being clear, once I say, and if it doesn't align with my values, I'm really going against me.
1: Right. Absolutely. That is so true. And that, again, talks about, like, goes back to prioritizing, you know, what matters to you and investing your time there.
2: Yeah. And no one at the end of their last breath, if we're so lucky to be in a, a home or someplace with everyone around us, is saying, Robin, gosh, you know, I wish I would have had a, a red Corvette, too, and then I wish I could have had another Rolex, and yeah, I wish I would have had another house. It doesn't happen. And so much of our time is being distracted and being influenced of what we should get as possessions and things. Nothing wrong with that. I like nice things. That's not really what matters. It's the relationships we have, and it's who we're being in this journey, you know, what I realized writing this book, if it was going to be a wild success or it wasn't, the book itself became the bonus. Who I became in writing it was just, it's, it's just really hard to put words to it, you know, and I didn't realize that till I wrote it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, that is something that's so core to my whole philosophy on writing a book and the value of writing a book is that it's not having a book to hold in your hands and say, Look at me! I'm an author. That's not what makes you an author. That's not what makes you a better authority and elevates your authority. It's the process that you go through. It's a transformation. Yes. Of getting, gaining greater awareness of who you are, what your actual message is, what you know, what you're really committed to, and what's just a, a an idea, you know, but what's really core to your teaching, and it just it gives you superpowers. For the rest of your life in, in your ability to communicate that value.
2: I love what you just said there because something came up when you said that. And I don't think I've ever actually articulated it this way, but I found that the more vulnerable I became mm. in not knowing certain things, man, the deeper I went and the more profound the information was. You know, I had a whole bunch of stuff written already, I've been researching right. And then when I looked at the final product, I was like, look how much I've built on my initial concept, right? Already a subject matter expert, right? Could have wrote what I already knew. That was the one thing having a good collaborator initially is is the questions that were being asked Mm -hmm. and to go into deeper things about my life and life experiences that added a texture and flavor of the messaging. And I'll tell you one quick story. So the end of the book, I talk about grit, right? And uh, time is a really important concept of grit because it's perseverance and passion over time. Mm. So if you don't have time, it's hard to have grit. It's not really talked about a lot. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I want to have grit, but when you need time, you need to do right. <laughs> So you know, I expanded on some of the, the research out there. But what really came up was my mom. Mm. And so my mom raised me and my brother pretty much on her own, worked multiple jobs. And, you know, I dedicated this book to my boxing coach, Tom Delaney. There's a story in there throughout the book. You may remember. And I used to think, you know, I got grit from sports and I got grit, you know, from, you know, my boxing coach. And as I was going into it, I was like, came from my mom. You know, when my biological father emptied out our house when I was a year old, took everything out of the house, bank account, and my mom came home from work and I was next door. The neighbor was taking care of me and she had $3 to her name. And I reflected back on what a, that must have been like for her, you know, 1960, whatever, six or seven.
1: That's a big deal.
2: Right. You know, credit cards, women didn't have credit cards. Yeah.
1: You couldn't get a bank account unless your husband co-signed.
2: Right. And I thought... Wow. And so, because it's the grit, right? It's using time and the face of adversity going forward that ultimately is what's going to lead to our success. It's going to lead to our success. And, you know, and I think, you know, time and these concepts are like a life skill for kids, you know, and that's an area that I'm expanding into and teaching them how to use time. Can yeah. you
1: imagine if we'd been taught that when we were like eight and nine years old? <laughs>
2: It wasn't even a concept, it wasn't even like what? What do you, <laughs> you know what doing, right?
1: So, yeah, and I was remembering, I was really moved by your story of your mentor as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, Tom Delaney. Yeah,
1: yeah, tell us a little bit more about Tom. And yeah, Tom,
2: I always wanted to box, so played sports. My mom would not let me box, she's like, You can do whatever you want. But, you know, I played football, but boxing was not it. So when I turned 18, I went down to the local boxing gym. And Robin God was shining down on me that day. Because that was the day I met Tom Delaney. Uh, Irish bus driver, Greyhound bus driver, beer belly, white t-shirt. And he had the most interesting scent of Old Spice cologne and sweat. And I'm going to tell you, that will get you. But the short story is this, is that He was a man that actually saw my potential, but also saw the anger, the frustration, the lack of confidence. And he was able to step in and guide me in a compassionate, mindful, and loving way in a very violent sport of boxing. Um, And I write in the book also, he actually taught me how to use time. I never saw these two worlds come together because in boxing, you've got three minutes, a minute rest. And I remember when I first started, I always wanted to spar. And he was like, and I'd be looking at the clock and came over. He goes, hey, man, if you keep looking at the clock, you know, he said, time will take care of itself. Just focus on being present and doing and then everything changed. But I was like, two minutes, 30 seconds, two minutes, 40 seconds. And it was painful. And so his guidance early on, you know, really allowed me. A to blossom as a young man and as a young athlete. And it wasn't until years later that I really understood those principles are the ones that I carry forward now for myself and my
1: clients. Now you're getting into performance coaching with athletes.
2: Yes, yes. We're doing some work called the A Game with young high school and college athletes, men and women, and teaching them, you know, the components of mindfulness, compassion, optimistic thinking, and how to use time to be resilient and to really be your best. And that is in the academics, athletics, and in life. So this is a new passion that I'm focusing time on, have been working with them my whole career, but this is a place where I think I'm more relevant or can add relevance to you know this next generation that's coming through.
1: It's so great. It's like this beautiful circle.
2: Yes, I would never imagine now, like I worked as a strength coach, I was an athlete, did all this performance stuff for 20 years, and now I've come full circle. I and mean, it really... It feels right in my heart, and the feedback and the work that I've seen with the young people already has just been tremendous. So, we continue to focus my time in that area.
1: I love it. So, is there any question, Stephen, that I should have asked you that I haven't yet? I should have asked. I'm gonna. You love one. me to ask, or you're like, I know that our listeners are really going to miss out because I didn't ask.
2: You've asked, you know, great, great questions. And I've been looking forward to you when you invited me to come on I said, you know, I've done all these podcasts, but I've never done one on the concepts of using time to write a book. So I was super excited. I'll finish with this. You know, I produced a video last year. I think you may have seen it called The Dash, right? And so, you know, we come into this world with a date. That's our birthday. And at the end is whenever we pass on to the next level of whatever you believe that to be. And in the middle, there's that dash. And that dash represents every moment in time, every dream fulfilled and unfulfilled. And I think about that often when I'm with myself and others, that there's going to be a day where the clock will stop for me. No one's gotten out alive. It motivates and inspires me to understand that we're all here for a divine purpose. The reason we're here by the law of nature is to do something and to never forget that because there will be a day where there's no longer time on the clock for you. And make each one of those days matter. Yeah, matter.
1: Yeah, well, what a beautiful thought to close with. So thank you for sharing your time with us today. My
2: pleasure and thank you and all the great work you're doing. Pleasure to be here today.
1: Thanks again, Stephen.